Welcome to the Pink Tax Podcast, a no-nonsense podcast for millennial women, building wealth and smashing the patriarchy, one dollar at a time, with your hosts, Janine and Tara. Janine. Hey, Tara. How are you doing? It's been a minute. Yeah. It has been a minute. Um, I feel like it's been a while since we, you know, sat down to record and a lot and also not a lot has gone on during this pandemic. Mm-hmm. How have you been holding up? Uh, it's okay. We have some help right now from the uh, parental in-law units, um, so that's good, but it's uh, not ideal, and no, yeah. it's not. It's been, I, I don't know, we're recording this, it's July 28th. I don't know how all of these months have passed since, you know, everything kind of started locking down in March. I don't know how this all went so fast, but also so incredibly slow at the same time, if that makes sense. Yeah. It's like so much has changed and yet so very little has changed. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Because I'm just looking back. I think our last episode was kind of right when all this lockdown was happening in April. So it's been a few months, definitely, of trying to figure out, you know, obviously you have childcare to figure out and both of us working from home. And then now you're kind of back at work. Um, And it's just been very different trying to figure out all these regulations and um, what the cases are doing and how much you should respond. And I'm sure everyone's feeling the same way as we are. I'm personally exhausted about thinking about COVID. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then we have, you know, everything that's come up with Black Lives Matter and like putting that at the forefront. And, you know, I think my hope in all of this, when it first started, I was like, okay, we have a pandemic. We have something that's going to affect everybody. Okay. Yeah. So like viruses aren't racist. They're not sexist. They're not homophobic. I mean, we try to make them like that, but at the end of the day, like it's our systems that cause certain folks to be more harmed or less harmed by things like viruses or access to like drinking water or healthcare or education, like that kind of thing, right? But now we can see that there are like very clear inequities, Um, but we've got like a certain section of the population that doesn't care. They don't give a fuck. They're not affected, so nobody should be affected, and they just want us all to like get back to normal so they can keep like doing their shit. Um, and then you've got like another section of the population that might be a little bit affected, but not enough to like really care if like a poor person has to go to work without like any safety measures or if like black people are being killed like disproportionately or like indigenous people are being killed or, you know, affected by Canadian genocide and like access to drinking water, um, And that kind of thing, right? And then you've got, like, a ton of men that, like, just do not care that three or four decades of, like, lady-led activism is just being completely flushed down the drain um, because nobody, (laughs) nobody cares enough about women's work still. Yeah. So that's where... There's a lot for sure. I I think... Definitely, this pandemic has brought a ton of inequity and injustice to light. And I think that's kind of where we wanted to, to start today, isn't it? Yeah, I definitely wanted to, to touch on that. Um, so, you know, we've got the personal finance focus for this podcast, but like 
several times we've gone a little bit more broad and and the things that affect the way um, we engage with personal finance, the way that we engage with paid labor and the way we engage with the economy and the way we engage with uh, investing and saving and um, general financial literacy. So I have a question for you because we'll do a little recap. Um, Okay. Who do you feel is able to participate in the personal finance realm or um, become financially literate? That's a really interesting question because there actually in during this pandemic, there's been a lot of or a few, I guess, maybe of situations where some of the personal finance community has been seen in a different light. I think, again, kind of going back to um, the fact that we are seeing, you know, just how racist and sexist, et cetera, homophobic, some of these people are. And there has been a few examples of that in the personal finance community. Um, The biggest one, and I'll talk about it openly, is with FinCon and the founder of it. Um, He's a cis white male and... He made some comments when the Black Lives Matter movement was kind of just taking off that were not well received. And so I do think in the personal finance community, it it probably follows kind of exactly what you would expect in society. So, you know, white men that are married to wives and have either their wives staying home to raise their children or... um, I guess they're dual income earners, probably followed by uh, white women um, that are high earners as well. So yeah, I would say those are probably the two biggest categories that are part of the personal finance community. But um, when it comes obviously to like financial independence and all that stuff, obviously that becomes more of a reality or the fire movement. And you can achieve those goals a lot quicker if you're earning a higher income, which is, you know, typically the case for those uh, cis white males. Yeah. And I, I think so too. And I've been thinking about that a lot lately as well, like, especially with um, some of the, yeah, the stuff that came out about FinCon and some of the pieces that some of the very popular finance bloggers are still writing, like as though nothing has changed And it's made me really think that, oh yeah, like for these fellas, nothing has changed. Um, If you're young and, you know, a bunch of the domestic labor at your house has been done by somebody else, whether that's an unpaid uh, lady relative or if it's paid female labor, whatever, or if you have kids and somebody is taking care of them for free while you get to sort of work your way up, or if you've kind of passed that phase, um, whether you had kids or not, but just had basically somebody else taking care of you at a discount for a large portion of your life. And then the things that I've thought of like since getting involved in personal finance and like having grown up pretty, pretty poor, like not super poverty level, but my parents did um, grow up in poverty and, um, you know, having like flirted in my childhood with like food insecurity and stuff like that, looking at some of these people like not getting it um, and time after time, like not understanding that some people cannot save 5%, 10%, 20%. Um, so a lot of these discussions like just don't matter to poor people and then seeing folks like on mass lose their job. And I was thinking, okay, so this is affecting the middle class. Now we're going to see, this is what people mean when they say food insecurity. This is what people mean when they say they cannot afford a roof over their head and they make the difficult decisions about, what to do with their kids or what bill to pay next or what debt to use to finance other debt. Um, And it never happened. I feel like it just really never happened. And then when you add in like the racial inequities as well, and those 
you know, for women, we call it like glass ceilings, but they're just walls, you know, the barriers of, um, the barriers of white supremacy and of the patriarchy. And then to a pretty large extent entwined with both of those ideas of people like hoarding a vast amount of wealth globally Mm. and then widespread income inequality it's um yeah Yeah, like i mean out of personal finance i'm pretty sick of hearing about you know oh my god we need to go after the fraudulent cerb charges like you're really going to go after two thousand dollars like hey i'm not here to say that tax fraud is a good idea but you know we're going to focus on two thousand dollars like i said this to someone on facebook i was like you're letting the billionaires trick you. Like you're mm-hmm. focusing on $2,000 where there are billionaires with that have, you know, offshore bank accounts that are hoarding. And then we talked about this in a previous episode, you know, millions and millions and billions and trillions of dollars that they're not paying tax on. And we're focusing on, you know, $2,000 that, you know what, there are probably some fraudulent CERB claims. And you know what, some people probably use them for, um, things maybe that they weren't, I guess it wasn't intended to, but also some people probably just used it to keep a roof over their head or put food on the table. And so it's like, are we really going to focus on that? Yeah. And I think a lot of people used it to keep a roof over their head and food on the table. Um, and I think a lot of folks probably didn't understand what the criteria was either. Like this was very rapid, Um, It was quickly developed, it was quickly rolled out, and it was meant to patch, honestly, patch a hole in the system that should have been been fixed a long time ago um, by collecting tax on very wealthy individuals and corporations and ensuring that, you know, every single citizen in our very wealthy nation um, and, you know, very wealthy world when you think about it had enough to eat and had a roof over their head that that's pretty basic and there has been some sort of like advocacy or announcements for charging people up to $26,000 for CERB fraud however how (laughs) but wait a minute do you remember like do you remember offhand how much you could deduct in RRSP contributions in 2019, we could have rich people deducting more to lower their taxable income. Like some rich dude could write off yesterday $26,000 of his income on his taxes legally but we want to charge poor people $26,000 in fines? Are you kidding? Are you kidding? Jesus Christ. Yeah. That's what you just know. It's just so out of touch. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember early on having these social media internet arguments with people like, no, no one should like defraud the government. Get at these people. And it's like, person this person has not like this cerb recipient has not even received as much as the maximum contribution to a rich person's tfsa this year <laughs> like i could put I have $6, no words i didn't even think about it from that perspective but god help us right and i'm not saying that everybody that maxes out their tfsa is you know making bank or like whatever no no and like i think but that's the point right like you know someone who is a multi-millionaire maxed out their rsp and their tfsa yeah. they were able to deduct 26 grand or whatever the rsp contribution and deduction limit was but like mm-hmm. someone applying for two thousand dollars of serve they're the criminals right yeah yeah and i've think been thinking about you know what we criminalize and what we do not and it seems like time and time again we make conscious public democratic decisions to like 
just absolutely decimate any chance that poor people and then by that same statement racialized people have at ever getting ahead in society where we can have some rich dude like not even think about it and max out his RRSP and his TFSA contributions every year and then in the same breath say that we should go after someone whose choice was to say work in Cargill or illegally receive a $2,000 payment a month. It's <laughs> unbelievable. I don't know what to say, but it goes back to, you know, who has the influence when it comes to personal finance, right? Like the, the upper middle class and not even upper middle class, the upper class is able to make these deductions and get huge tax breaks because they have the the political maybe it's political will to you know get those deductions or influence or lobby those government officials yeah they have the time to do this they have the time to lobby they have the money to find somebody who has the time to lobby and they have the education to understand what's being said like not just in meme form but to really understand like the intricacies of some of the bills that are passed of you know the income tax acts um and codes that you know govern how regular taxes are filed um and they have the education, the time, and the will to understand, you know, a friggin' omnibus bill. Yeah. Oh, that's so disappointing to even think about it from, I'm still stuck on the RSP deduction. It's like, I can't get over it. Right? I kind of, I, I didn't write it down, but I, I remember I used it in an argument. Um, let me just look it up real quick. RRSP dollar limit, $26,500 for 2019. That's how much you could contribute. 18% of your income, as long as you didn't have a pension adjustment, up to a maximum of 26500 And there are lots of folks that get there. there are oh, totally. That get there. Yeah. And especially if you have like RSP matching and stuff and it comes automatically off of your, um, your paychecks, like it's, I don't want to say it's easy to get to 26,000 because that's definitely not the point I'm trying to make, but like it is possible for an upper middle-class person to get to 26,000. So I don't doubt that, you know, the, the 1% or the top 10% mm -hmm. are getting there full stop in the first couple of months. Yeah. And these are the people that are making the decisions too, as you, as you mm -hmm. said, these are the people that are making the decisions. So they're the ones that are going to say, this is legal and this is not legal. Well, let's look back at 2015, right? Like what happened when the conservatives were trying to win another election, they increased the TFSA limit to $10,000. Why? Mm -hmm. Because it's a place for people to store their money and grow it tax-free, which, Hey, I'm all for, but how many people that are in the middle class have an extra $10,000 sitting around? Yeah. So, and, and, so I guess to that point too, because we've talked a lot about how the TFSA is like a great place for ladies to start, um, you know, getting some return on their investments, growing their wealth, making a plan for the future to not end up as the statistics that I think we've talked about at length of how ladies sort of, end up in a worse financial position than men. So to that end, as relatively privileged ladies, what do you think, what would you be willing to sacrifice in the system that we are in to ensure that it is more equitable going forward? I think there probably needs to be... Um, let me just think about how it says. So I think a couple of things I would be okay with like a clawback on some of those tax shelters. So whether that's your RSP or your TFSA or um, something like that, I would definitely be okay with that. Like things that lower my tax bill. Um, I think 
once you hit like a, like let's say a hundred grand or I'm picking an arbitrary number in your TFSA, if you make over a certain amount of money, like you should probably be forced to put that in a unregistered account as opposed to just continuing to grow it tax free. Um, I think also there needs to be, um, I think the clawbacks around, you know, some of the child benefits. I know my, like, I haven't looked into it yet. I know my friend was saying basically you get some amount of money from the government up to like $180,000. And I guess I could, I could totally see maybe like the higher end coming down a little bit, but I think the the lower end needs to go up more than that. I guess the higher end of it needs to go down. So if that means adding a wealth tax to fund that or adding a wealth tax to fund, um, you know, $25 a day daycare across the country for uh, low to middle income folks, like add that onto my tax bill too. I think that's kind of where, where I see what I guess I could give up when I look at what, is part of my annual tax return. Yeah, I like that. I like looking at a wealth tax as being um, sort of all-encompassing, like regardless of whether you have it in a registered account or not, like we've determined based on how we'd like our society to function that over X amount of millions of dollars probably is... Too much. Like you just don't need that much. much. Yeah, it's... It's an unsustainable amount of wealth for one individual or one family to hold without giving more back to the society that we live in. I like that. And we that. can't leave it to rich people to just make charitable contributions either because then they get a tax deduction for that too. So yeah. I, I and- think AOC said it like in one of her tweets like way early on in the pandemic because they were talking about how the how it, how much does it cost to turn a capitalist into a socialist? And it was $1,200, um, which was exactly the amount um, that they were giving out in the States for the stipend checks. And then, you know, there was a whole bunch of uproar, like, oh no, we're not socialists. Like they're gonna have to pay this back or whatever. We're gonna fund it through our, so through taxes or something like that. And she was like, some mechanism and she was like if only there was a way to collect money from the rich people and pool it and use it for like the greater good of society if only there was a way and obviously her point there being that's exactly what our tax system is supposed to do it's just not doing a very good job on the upper end of things yeah and so well i feel like pure capitalism has been debunked like so many times that there is not a level and there is not enough power at the lower end to make pure capitalism work like it is not the free hand of the market it is a lot of powerful people with influence driving certain things and ensuring that folks have to accept less and less in terms of let's say just income right so we know we cannot operate on a pure capitalist society the way totally. things are governed politically right now. So yeah, true. Also, like, why if twelve hundred dollars really? Do I care if that person pays their marginal tax rate? And this would be in like Canadian terms. But do I care if somebody pays their marginal tax rate on one twelve hundred dollar stimulus check? No, my friend. I do not. I care if somebody, you know, pays their fair share of the $12 billion that they made in the last four months because their service was, let's say, I don't know, fucking Amazon. I was going to say, this sounds like Mr. Bezos. Yeah. Like, you've made a lot of money off of a lot of people's suffering. Mm -hmm. You should have to pay extra for that and ease those people's suffering totally and you know a lot of people get their again like i feel like we as a society have let the billionaires trick us and by that i mean you know there's people complaining about the fact that like you know oh i can't get my workers to come back to work because they're making more on serve than they would you know working their job 
which like, I don't actually know if that's true, but, um, to that, I say like, why are you paying your employees so shitty? Like $2,000 a month is like no money in the, in today's world. And I'm in a major metropolitan city, like $2,000 a month covers our mortgage and we have a very low mortgage and that's it. Yeah. And also how dare you, like, how dare you frame these people who are scared, who are in a pandemic, who are making very little money regularly. How dare you frame them as lazy when we know, and and I know personally from my own family experience that the lady that cleans the buildings at night works harder than any CEO that I have ever met. 100%. Right? I I guess my point also obviously was we've heard this before with like people just going on EI, like not just in the pandemic, but like it's been amplified in the pandemic for sure. Exactly. And like, I would rather instead of having it framed as though these people are lazy and just want to stay at home living off of fucking I imagine $2 rice and like in shared living accommodations for $2,000 a month but that maybe if you had put in some safety measures then ensuring that your profit margin was exactly the same as it was before the pandemic or your dividend been pardon I said or your dividend payment to your shareholders yeah, or or your dividend payment. So that kind of leads me into like my next question for you. So we talked about voting with your dollars at one point. And I said, I don't love it because I feel like everyone should get an equal vote and that I don't think just because you have more money, you should be able to influence things at a greater level. Right. So if we're talking about dividends and you don't have to put a number on it, but we know there are problems in supply chains. We know that there's problems in other jurisdictions that pay their workers low wages. And we know that we have our investment dollars sitting there, either growing through dividend income or through an increase in the share price. What would you give up to that the issues, the ethical issues in the supply chain and the ethical issues in terms of global wage depression were fixed, what would you do personally? That's a tough one because I guess I'm trying to balance it and whether or not this is a good response, I don't know, but it's an honest one. I'm obviously trying to balance our household finances to make sure that, you know, we are able to retire when it when it comes to that uh that time in our life i mean i obviously hope that the system is a lot better set up when we come to that i don't know if i'm holding my breath which again i don't know if that's a great attitude to have towards it but it is an honest one um i think i'd like to say that i you know i would pay more in fees for sure and um maybe expect lower returns but you know when we start to see companies like Wealth Simple um, talking about the fact that they had lower fees now for their socially responsible portfolios and they revamped it, I think, I wonder if that's kind of almost just a cop-out. And what I mean by that is, do we need to advocate for more companies to behave like this as opposed to just throwing our hands up and saying, yeah, like, okay, I'll, I'll just pay the higher fees. Um, So I don't know, is that, that's kind of a terrible answer. (laughs) I don't think it is a terrible answer. I I do like how you said, like, this is an honest answer. And because I've been thinking about, thinking about this a lot too. You know, I know that every single item that I buy, there is, if I dug deep enough, there is going to be an issue in the supply chain. I know that. Mm -hmm. I know that whether it's um, the avocado that I bought or if it's my smartphone. I know that there are ethical issues in every single supply chain worldwide, but we have to, we can't just go off the grid and make our own clothes and have our own sheets. Exactly. Yeah. 
you know, do all of this on our own. We were never, humans were never built for that to begin with. We always had some form of society. And also, what am I doing? I've lost any mechanism of advocacy. I've lost my engagement with society as a whole. So basically, I'm just waiting for the rest of the world to either make my holy ethical lifestyle obsolete or I'm engaging with it in some way, shape, or form. And I've actually heard some Gen Zs talk about this where they're like, I don't want to be part of a system like this. Um, But at the same time, it's kind of like in some situations, you have to be part of the system to influence the system. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I would like a new one. If we could just all like, can we get get a new system? (laughs) Yeah. Like, I think we've been down this road long enough. We've had enough of these events, whether they be pandemics or, you know, even when things like NAFTA were introduced, we've had enough of these shocks that we can see that this is not working. All that we're doing is I know that with my investment portfolio, I'm doing what I can to try and be as ethical as I'm comfortably possible with also ensuring that, you know, I don't have to work the 14 hour days that my parents did and that my grandparents did and that I can spend some time with my kid and raise a good kid Mm -hmm. um, because that's important to me. But I also know that in some way, shape or form, I am standing on the back of another mother. It might not be the person who lives next door to me. Sometimes it is. It might be somebody who's in another country, um, you know, but I don't, I don't want to do that anymore. I want, I want something else. I want a new system <laughs> done. Yeah. And I guess the hard thing about that is there's never going to be one event that completely revamps the system. Like, unfortunately, and I would love to be proved wrong on this. So um, in our next election, if we could just do that, that'd be great. Um, but I don't know if you can just have sweeping change to fix everything, even in four years when you've elected a different government, just because of how our systems are set up. So, and I think I've had to try and come to terms with that because, you know, some days it's just like, oh, I feel like I'm just like beating my head against the wall, dealing with this stuff all the time. And I just wanted to change, but change is slow, I, I guess, is, is my response to that. Like, I would love a new system too. Like, um, for my future kid, like, I don't know how I feel about this system for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I guess my next bit would be well, let's, let's step back. So we know that ladies, well, white ladies, have made some pretty good gains in the past 30 to 40 years. And we talked about this, that all of our gains in terms of being able to engage in the system that we see it, or, or the system that exists as we see it today, could be erased at the end of COVID. Yeah. Um, this is like a heartbreaking thing for me, like seeing these articles floating around that like, women are at their like lowest involvement in the workforce in decades because they've had to basically take a step back to raise their children because God forbid the man takes a step away from his work, but they're just expected to be the child caring spouse because daycares are closed. And like, don't even get me started on why there wasn't something like, how did we not see like, what if the kids can't go to school as like a possibility at any point in our future and set something up? Like, I don't know, but. And we've got a lot of women in the service industry, whether or not they have children, they might be the people taking care of other women's children, educating other women's children, um, caring for other women's parents um, you know, in clothing stores, in any other form of retail, in grocery stores, grocery stores, in the restaurants. So we have a bunch of women who still have their jobs in unsafe working environments. And we also have at the same time, a bunch of women 
who are in the working environments that needed to be shut down for public safety, and then another set of professional, whatever professional means, we have another set of higher income earning women who will now be relegated to the, again, the upper class white woman role of housewife. And I wonder, did we maybe think did, did we maybe get lied to again and told that change was slow and it made us complacent and that we didn't, we didn't carry on the work of the feminists before us? And I'm just thinking that now because you said that because... You know, that's a really good point. We might have gotten tricked. <laughs> We're getting tricked by the billionaires and tricked by the patriarchy. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> and, and by white supremacy as well with all of this... Bullshit. Oh, that too. Yeah, add it to the list. We'll just keep the list going. We're yeah, fucking tricked by everybody. Yeah, yeah, and it's 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 meant to keep a certain segment of humanity rich and powerful, and a lot of us to keep a lot of us written out of history, written out of the economy, um, have our labor unpaid for or low or low wage or in prison or you know whatever it may be just so that someone else can have a yacht yeah uh, or two yachts i mean or two or three or whatever it is fucking rich people spend money on probably rockets so what would you say like do we just demand better like how do we start to fix this i know you probably don't have the answer just because i don't have the answer either and if we had the answer we would just fix it but i think i think we do demand better i think we do you know with these protests and stuff that are going on and everyone's like well how can they protest during covid like aren't we supposed to all stay home and it's like yeah but people who look like you know, anybody at the forefront of Black Lives Matter is more likely to die from not COVID during COVID. People who are Indigenous are more likely to die from not COVID than COVID. And for white ladies, I think it's time that we stand up for those people and and stop just saying, well, we've got our rights. We did a good couple of decades there and say, no, I will not be pushed back to the kitchen or be forced into unpaid labor, or be, you know, valued by the symmetry of my face and the fact that I have a uterus to allow this system to use and abuse me. Like, I'm done. And I think, I think we do push back. I think one thing that we need to determine before we do is what would you imagine like a better future looking like so for the women who come after us and i don't think we're going to be as powerful as maybe those who have come before us but i certainly hope we're more intersectional at the very least um but what would you hope if we are successful in changing the world in our lifetime what do you hope that that our feminist children grow up and inherit from us? I mean, I think a few things of like, of co- or a few concrete examples come to my mind. The first being equal representation on uh, in executive management of companies in um, board, on board makeups. So, you know, obviously I'm not just talking about men and women, I'm talking about, you know, equal representation across all races, um, you know, sexualities, all of that. I think that would be something that I would be proud of. Um, I think the ability for um, there to be daycares on site at a low or free cost for all parents is something that's incredibly important and incredibly valuable. It It's a lot easier for a mom to go back to work at six months if she wants to Um, If there's a daycare on site where she can go and, you know, breastfeed her baby at 1030 on her coffee break and, um, you know, and also supports there for women who want, don't necessarily want to um, go back to work early. Cause some people, I think 
don't have a choice um, around how long they can actually take off. And with that, I would say the third area that I really want to see change in our lifetime is the maternity and I guess parental leave benefits um, mandating that employers have a specific amount of top up. So whether that's up to 80% or hundred percent, I, it still boggles my mind that you max out at $2,000 a month on maternity leave or parental leave. And you have another human to feed and clothe and diaper and have a stroller and all of these things. So you have more expenses and they're saying, we're going to give you less money. And I totally get that there are limitations on what the government can give every Canadian. And I get that, but then let's force employers to do it. Let's force them to top you up to on to your 80% or what, or hundred percent of your salary. So maybe those three things I would say would be the things I would be really proud of if I left this earth and those things were, were sorted. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, those are very, very big things for me. I don't think anyone should have to worry about their children while they're going off to do something that is also a value to society totally. and that, that fills them up as, as human beings and makes them feel 100%. complete. You know, we are not just the people who will raise our children. And in fact, we do a disservice to our children if we allow ourselves to become just parents. You know, um, one thing I've been thinking of, and I think it's just from um, my own childhood experience and my parents' childhood experience, my grandparents' childhood experience as well, um, as the outbreaks at like meat packing plants and the situation with migrant workers and where they are, you know, brought into our country to pick food for us and, you know, treat it as subhuman. Um, Let's like call it what it is. It's like modern day slavery. It, it, it is. It is. Right. Cause they're, they're tied people. to what the, the company will, you know, end their, their visa here and send them back if, if they don't mm-hmm. work in these conditions. Right. Yeah. And, and when you look at it, you know, from like the white supremacist barrier as well, like, these are not people with lighter skin. They might not be the darkest skin people every time, but there is definitely an aspect of that. This is not, I don't, you know, I probably about my kid ending up in a migrant working, uh, you know, farm working position where I have to worry about her health and safety, right? So for me... I think like food security is huge. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know if I want anyone to pay for food going forward. I don't really know how that would work. You know, that's there are going to be things. Yeah, like I mean there's always going to be something that's in like greater demand. Yeah. Um but Did you ever watch like uh what was that movie Interstellar? I think so. Yeah. It was obviously like a few years ago, but if you remember from that movie, they have to like find a new earth or whatever is the whole point of it. But the interesting part from a societal lens was um, they like don't need any more engineers or doctors or something. Mm -hmm. They like are assigning people roles of farmers because they have a food shortage and they can only grow, I think it's like corn or something because um, there was so much global warming that the sun doesn't come through enough or something like that. I can't remember, but, um, interesting on the food piece, right? Like not necessarily that we need another planet. That's a whole different podcast, I'm sure. But, um, yeah, does it come to a point where, you know, we make it so that people don't have to pay for food and we are assigning workers to become farmers because they are integral to how our society works. Yeah. And I mean, I wouldn't necessarily want to take away, because I feel like the system that we're in already limits people's potentials so much. I'm sure we have people who would be amazing astrophysicists that just happen to be born in a location where their upward mobility is capped at maybe migrant worker or maybe, Mm -hmm. you know, mid-level management of what have you right so yeah yeah, I 
I don't want people to pay for food anymore. I want people to know that they can have food. It might not be what we see now. And like from the environmental perspective too, it might not be avocados in December. That's fine. I would sacrifice avocados in December and my guacamole fix. Um, if we, I don't know just- if I'm willing to go that far. I mean, how am I going to buy a house then? <laughs> Yeah, how do we afford, how can we afford houses if we don't have our avocado toast? Well, like, actually, do we I guess blame? the opposite. I would have so many houses if we didn't have avocados in December. I would all have the, all of the houses. We could probably, you know, yeah, if if all us millennials just stopped eating avocado toast, we could solve the unhoused population's problems too. Done. Perfect. But yeah. I just, yeah, I just want that to happen. I want it to be more local. I don't want to have, you know, I'd rather pay more if I were to, you know, eat a lot of meat. I'd rather pay more for meat. Um, totally. You know, than have like how Alberta many- would die though if we brought in a meat tax. Like we thought the carbon no. tax was wrong. Just, oh. or if they, people thought the carbon tax was gonna kill them all then the meat tax would just send albertans into a oh my god yeah it probably would listen like we're not gonna you know stuff together a thousand people who are here on work permits or have never applied for their permanent residency because they didn't realize they could um we'll stuff them together rather than have like a local butcher down the street like, I mean, honestly, put old stock in front of it. We probably could convince a lot of Albertans to do a lot of shit that they don't actually apparently agree with. Um, yeah. But yeah, like, just, I don't want the person carving up cattle to be exposed to pandemics in that way. Like, I don't want that. I would rather have a local butcher. I would rather have, like, not a city or like a farm in a city or like have these plants like closer. I'd rather like be neighbors with a butcher or a farmer than, you know, have such a disconnection to, to all of these folks that ensure my survival. Like a hundred percent, a hundred percent. Yeah. So that's, I don't know. I have a lot of opinions and maybe we can kind of add that to the end of all of our podcasts um, you know, what would we change today? What's the issue of the day um, for the better feminist future? Um, I do want to touch on some stupid fucking ideas, though. Okay. So I love a good stupid had... fucking idea. <laughs> um, so there have been some ladies on the interwebs who have not read any feminist history or literature um and it fucking shows it it really it really shows so a couple of things and we touched on it before the random fight that i got into because i wanted to pay my own goddamn student loan instead of having my husband pay for my education for me because i don't know somebody's fucking property i guess um and that honestly it, it is what it felt like to me and so here's the thing. Women are paid less because we live in a system of patriarchy. The end of patriarchy does not mean that the rich men that can afford to have a wife then pay for their wives' education that goes nowhere. We've done that before. It sucks ass. So stop. This is not an individual problem. This is not a marriage problem. We don't have to erase um, people who are in same-sex relationships. We don't have to erase non-binary people anymore. We just have to say, listen, I have maybe double X chromosomes or I have a uterus or I don't and I am a woman and I deserve the same fucking expectation for the education that I earned and I contribute to society and should be respected as such. I don't need my husband to pay for me. Um, So that's a stupid fucking idea. The other stupid fucking idea is that women should pay less tax than their husbands. Again, heterosis normative as fuck. Um, But also... Listen, we know 
that men are going to earn more than women because we live in a system of patriarchy. So the issue is to not tax rich women less, but in fact, to ensure that poor women have education, childcare, fucking food, um, you know, a six fucking Houses. hour workday. Houses. Like, not have to deal with domestic violence. Nobody should deal with domestic violence. I don't no. give a shit if Access my to income... mental health. Yeah. Like, is this the conversation we're having? Tax women less? Fuck you. There was somebody not that long ago that fought for our right to hold property, to pay taxes that is associated with holding property. There is someone that fought and that went on hunger strikes and that was beaten and tortured by our government so that we could vote, so that people would look at a woman, at a white woman and say, you are a person. So I would not, I don't want to go backwards and say, 100%. I shouldn't have to contribute as much as society because I'm a lady. That's yeah, not- no, I mean, again, that it, I, I think like conversations like that, I always take the approach of um, it's not about, you know, bringing someone else down. It's not about, you know, Tara got a raise and I didn't. So Tara should, you know, have less money. It's bringing the bottom up. So I should also mm-hmm. be paid for that same job in this example, or I should also, you know, have access to affordable housing or food or whatever it may be. So it's, again, we don't want to ever bring anyone down in society. We always want to lift the bottom up. Yeah. And make it equitable for everyone. And that does mean that ladies will have to pay for tax and whatever and contribute, but we already do. And a lot of it goes unseen. So let's make that work seen. Let's make the woman who is the most marginalized front and center, because I kid you not, if we make this world a better place for the racialized, and let's say it's a black or indigenous trans woman, I bet you if we could create a society that was perfect, that was to the ideal of um, making life beautiful for the most marginalized, the most racialized person, then we would probably live in a pretty fucking equitable society because those are the people that we never think about. We never think about, you know, how is this going to affect somebody who's trans? How is this medical bill going to affect somebody who's trans? How is this um, reproductive bill going to affect somebody who has a uterus? You know, how is this go back to school plan going to affect somebody who was born with Uh, different educational needs and requirements. You know, we never think about that. Put those needs front and center and I think we're all going to be a lot better. I mean, I I wrote down that We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. I think, as always, please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Perfectly and eloquently and follow us on that's probably a good place to you know wrap up with this episode but I'm just going to repeat it. What Tara said was let's Let's make life beautiful for the most marginalized women in our society. And I mean, that's it. That's the that's the chef's kiss of the episode right there. <laughs> that's the the pink tax rebate. There you go. For sure. <laughs>